In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's that really exciting time when we start looking at the combine, and I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright, right, right. Jack, you're producing a lot of content at the moment for the OBR. What is going on in your world at the moment? Well, I had a, an idea that I would write on all 633 upcoming unrestricted free agents. And now I'm halfway through in it. I'm, I'm partially regretting it. It's a lot, a lot of work. Um, many a time going out drinking and getting home and being like, oh, yeah, I need to write on another 20 dudes and put that out. So uh, it, it's informative stuff. Um, I wish I'd have started it at the start of January and not the start of February. Uh, how many players are you doing per hour? 10? Ten, Jack, probably. you're doing you're doing ten dudes an hour. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Just the go way on, Jack go, go, go. likes it. <laughs> um, I'd like to apologise to Americans for the English banter that anything goes. I was actually having a chat with Joe Thomas, name drop, saying that English banter is a lot more open than American. So, mum jokes were on the table when he said, "I'm glad that we've had this conversation." So, uh, yeah. So, Paul, I'll tell and, you. This. Go on. Go. I was going to say, Americans have the same type of banter. We're just not as public. Like, you have to be in the circle of trust to have that conversation. Because, like, I have a group of friends, and it's an eclectic group of jabronis, as I call them. And there's nothing that's off off limits. But we wouldn't have that conversation as public as some people in Europe would. I'll just say that. English people are very close. But, I mean, you can have a bit more of a deeper conversation. Jack's got limited time on the podcast. So, Jack, tell us, what has been going on with the Browns ever since Super Bowl? So, not too much. Um, It's a very quiet period where, as we approach probably the start of March is when we'll see some of it. We'll see a few restructures as they get ready for the new league year. So, you're probably going to see Watson. You're probably going to see Ward. And then those are sort of two of the big main names um probably wills is potentially another one um and if they do that that takes the trade talks off the table and quite frankly i don't get why you would trade him um so jack that was giving me my question is like what would be the perk to it because you need somebody that position yeah he wasn't all pro but I've, i've seen this talk lately i didn't understand the breakdown of why people would want to get rid of wills you don't have anything better to put into that spot and we know that the market isn't right to go out and bring somebody in to do it. So what's the what's the idea behind the trade discussion so, that may or may not be legit? Even if uh, um, the idea is you could slide um, Dwan Jones over. Hey, I, it's a whole can of worms whether people get into that discussion. But even if that did, and to be fair, people said Tristan Wirfs could only be a right tackle and he looked fine on the left. You've then got two... Injury question mark tackles. Um, you've got Jack Conklin, who, hey, if he could play, if I could guarantee 17 games and turn injuries off in the Madden settings, phenomenal, happy about that. That's not life. 
And then Dwan Jones, just because of the size he is, he's probably never going to play 17 regular season games. Um, it's probably going to be around 14, 15. You're not probably going to see him missing. There's nothing there saying, hey, he's only going to play half the games. But you need to be prepared for him missing time. So this idea that it's like, hey, we just roll with Dwan Jones and Conklin, we're fine. Um, bring in some like cheap 3 million swing tackle. It's just, I don't get it. I would much rather you stick Wills out there. And it, Wills is just league average. Yeah, it's not great, but it's not bad. Um, and what happened when the quarterback started throwing the ball and not holding it on too long? People were like, oh, this Christiansen guy is quite good. It, it wasn't. A lot of sacks are quarterback stats. They're not on your tackles. Yeah, I mean, Joe's kind of talked about that a little bit. Well, and by the way, Paul, I know you were um, kind of bouncing back and forth with him, and we got to get him on the pod a little bit to talk about this O-line play. Now that he's coaching the Munich Ravens, you know, we want to try to get a breakdown from him on what it's going to mean for the Browns losing, you know, Bill Callahan, obviously to go coaching with his son, Brian. In terms of the offensive line development, does he think that the Browns will be able to continue kind of a factory of satisfaction in terms of, you know, offensive linemen? But, you know, Jack, I was just pulling up the list here of some of these free agent tackles, and I'm going to tell you right now, Jed Wills would be probably fourth or fifth on this list. So for all the people out there thinking you're going to go out and get a very cheap replacement for him and go spend that money on, you know, some primo wide receiver like T. Higgins, that's that's likely not going to happen. But, I mean, overall, this is Jack's New Year, right? This is This is literally the league New Year and Jack's Christmas when it comes to this. So as the Browns kind of go into this, Jack, are there any extensions that we could see in terms of players? Because if I'm not mistaken, I heard you on with uh, Jackson McCurry talking about the roster. This really this year is set up kind of minimally. It's really next year that there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking. So just for our international audience, that and if you ha if you don't go listen to Jack and Jackson over on the Dogland, it's a great show. It's about 45 minutes. It'll give you a breakdown. But Jack, just for our listeners. Explain what you were talking about regarding this offseason versus next offseason extensions. So the whole nine yards. Yeah, th there's not many players that have gotten out in this year. We're looking at they can move on from like Amari Cooper. They could move on from um, Nick Chubb. They could move on from Betonio Teller. That's pretty much it. So not many outs and deals. We look forward to next year. And there is basic outs in every single player. You've got Deshaun Watson that's not, I forget, there was one other name, Delpit. I think that is pretty much it as the only two players they couldn't move off in a year's time. Obviously, you're not moving off Miles Garrett, etc. But there is a least going to extend Miles Garrett again. That's going to be a lot of money. We need to cut a bit of money somewhere else. Um, and lots of decisions will happen there. But what this season is going to look the 2024 season the roster is going to look quite a lot like the 2023 season whereas 2025 season woohoo we've got some fun there'll be some moves there'll be some guys they replace some guys they bring in um, but that's going to be a much more fun off season where we can talk about all the options on the table this season is going to look pretty similar and the advantage is if you look at the roster turnover this year other than Zadarius Smith no one else is probably going to get three million or more. And what that means yeah. is you can really start upgrading. You're not going to go out and spend loads, but you can bring in a few free agents, but you can add a load more draft picks and you just push that that standard across this whole roster just keeps getting higher. Yeah, and I think ultimately we want to get to a place where 
we are relying on the talent we're bringing into the building, we're drafting, we're developing, as opposed to going out and chasing the high price free agents. You know, the old adage is if they're, they're free agents for a reason, right? If Cincinnati could, they would keep T. Higgins. And, you know, there's still ways that they could do that. But ultimately, you know, there's not a long-term recipe of success going out and buying the best available players on the market for 20% over value, right? If you if you think about it from a, you know an automotive car dealership, if you went and bought used cars for 20% more than they were worth and then tried to you know put them into a, a fleet, so to say, to operate your business, you're probably going to have a lot of breakdowns and repairs. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's probably just more cost efficient to buy new cars for that. So as we come here into the new league year, you know, Ultimately, what is the expectation with restructures of the amount of money the Browns are going to have to play with? So we'll get a much better picture when the final salary cap number is set. So working on $242 million, um, which is kind of what we've been told, but there's the rumors that that might go up. Um, I've got them spending at the moment $265 million of cash across their 53-man roster. And that's take punter for example i've got a minimum contract in there because we don't have a punter on the roster um so rather than just go oh it's zero cost at the minute um i'm pacing that at, it's about eight hundred thousand. um and so i expect the number to be about 291 million so we're talking at 26 million of cash left to throw around and if you went out there and you spent three million on a free agent take 1 million off because that's the 800,000 that's already accounted for, or it could be a player you're forcing off the roster. So it's 26 million of net spend um, there. And that's where it is. But if the salary cap say went up 10 million more than expected, and we're talking about 252 million, then that would be 120% of that. So 12 million more would go into this cash budget. So rather than we've got 26 million to play with, Hey, we've got 38. Um, so that's why when that final number comes out, I'll have a, my number will move around. It's not, oh, I suddenly expect them to spend more. My projection is based on the salary cap number for the year. Gotcha. And, th and that makes sense. And, you know, the Browns, obviously, one of the consistencies of having the same coach and the same GM, something we are in that since four and two, is the plan that was set forth in 2020 is now getting into your fourth. You're getting into what we would call a full cycle, right? An NFL career is generally, I think, about four and a half years for a player. And given that Barry's now kind of going into this fifth season, we're seeing the long-term planning of how they're structuring some of these deals. You know, we talked for a long time a couple of years ago about sequencing, right? And how deals we're going to start sequencing. And we're starting to see a lot of the fruits of those labors. But, you know, as we go into this season, we're going to pivot real quick over to kind of the roster. And... I personally don't see the Browns making some sort of what we would call day one splash. You know, one of those big ticket guys where there's been tampering and all this stuff. And then five minutes after the league year opens, Adam Schefter starts all those scheduled tweets start flowing out. But position wise, Jack, where do you think the Browns target their primary resource? And by that, I mean the, the, the highest and the second highest amount of money, whether it's 10 million, 8 million, 5 million, they're going to spend on two guys that are the most of any of it else in the class. What positions do you think we're going to go after there? Yeah. And if they do spend, you, you've got probably eight to 10 million tied up in JOK. So that's going to be a spend that is going to happen. I would believe probably in June, July time rather than early on. 
but that would happen at some point. Um, and that that's a spend that comes out, you're spending on JOK, that's 10 million that you can't spend on a Zedaria Smith, for instance. So there's the balancing game of that, of where's that money coming from? Because they've never spent on linebacker. They averaged seven and a half million the last four years across the entire room. So JOK is going to potentially get more than their entire linebacker budget, which is significant because that means a change in roster building philosophy. You've got to rip that out the D-line to give it to a linebacker. Does your D-line look as good? Question to ask. Um, and if the defensive tackle play is not as good, is JOK look as good? So something there just to keep in mind as we go into this, I think wide receiver and then what they do with Zadarius Smith. That's the two places where I could see them I'd say five million is quite a fair bar to set. Of they're the two spots I could see them going over, sort of five million, um, with a majority chance. There might be the odd other position where they do do it, but they're the two where if you went look, they're they're spending ten million or twelve million someplace and six million somewhere else. I'm saying maybe it's uh Gabe Davis at wide receiver, maybe it's uh um, Marcus Davenport at edge. Those are two names that it kind of just ticks boxes for what they might do. Not saying they're instantly my favorite names. I do like the upside of the Marcus Davenport move. Gabe Davis is same offensive coordinator. Apparently they're close. You can just see it uh, falling into place. In, in terms of the edge, we'll break down the edge and the wide receiver because I think those are really the sexiest positions. And if we start getting into the guard positions or anything like that, Paul may fall asleep on us. But Couple names off the edge that I know we've discussed in the past. Do you still have any interest in your boy Romeo Aquara? No. What about we talked about him a little bit last year, Cleveland Farrell? No, not really. Um, Jeez, I am man. really, really rude. I I look at like pressure numbers on the D line. I'm like, are you at double digits? No, get out of my life. Yeah, and I I bring in the real football here, but I'm going to give you a couple names. I was scanning here, and I could see. If we're looking for, because I do think you're right. I think that they're going to maybe come down a little bit. And you know, who knows? Is it maybe Zadarius Smith made a really good impact and he's willing to structure a nice little deal to stay here that's affordable? Likely, probably not. Possible, sure. I'm going to give you a couple of names. First one is, we've talked about him before, my boy Tyquan Lewis. So Tyquan Lewis, Ohio State guy. We wanted him last year, two years ago actually as well, had a little injury. Last year, though, in Indy, they start moving him out a little bit. Taekwon was playing in the wide nine, right? So they moved him out a little bit. I think in terms of just being a solid player, you know, ever since his days at Ohio State, this guy has just always been a good producer. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think PFF had him somewhere around the two-year, 12 million range with like six guaranteed. So it's kind of right in that third tier right if they're saying you know Ogbo's ready to move up and maybe move into that edge two could you replenish the edge three so Taekwon Lewis this is a guy I would take a look at especially with a Jim Schwartz defense I could see him fitting in nicely the other one is the guy from the Bills AJ Espinenza uh or Epenza Epeneza uh he was a big guy coming out of Iowa a few years ago PFF has him as like a three-year 20 million with only like 13 guaranteed He's your guy that would be good opposite of Miles. He's stout against the run, very good in terms of gap control, in terms of setting the edge. These are kind of the lower ticket names. Um, the the one guy, Mike Dana, is another one out there from the Chiefs that people have I've seen bounce out there. But I think, Jack, once we get into the higher levels where you're talking like, you know, the, the Zadarius Smiths, where you're talking 20, 25 million guaranteed, I, I just don't see if they're going to go that route. 
So the reason why I'm not that keen on Epinesa um, is he's hasn't reached 400 snaps in a regular season yet. That concerns me for what you're potentially going to go and ask him to do. You've got Okronkwo that's, he made the leap and he's done a good job, but I almost need a body that can withstand a lot of snaps um, because you're going to go from Stara Smith that played an awful lot to mm-hmm. how does this room look? And it will be a rotation between Okronkwo and um, Wright. And I feel good about both of those, but I'm, it's not asking it to us to go from sort of, hey, it's going to take 12 million roughly to bring back Sidarius. Let's go bring in a $2 million edge. Um, but I think Lewis makes an awful lot of sense. Um, insane. 17% pressure rate last year. Um, that's Miles Garrett territory. Miles Garrett's just ahead of it. I think he's 17.1 or 17.2 or something. Um, but that is the sort of numbers that I look at and go, give me, give me a piece of that. Um, yeah. And he might look at Cleveland and go, actually... It's a fun place to be. Probably you know, he been know, at the he knows it well. same time as Walker. Yeah, he knows well. But Jack, here's the one thing, and you talked about it a little bit before. I wouldn't be shocked if Schwartz kind of adapts this secondary rusher, right? Because the one thing with Schwartz is he likes to go exotic. And if all of a sudden we're going to add, you know, you talked about the eight to 10 million for JOK. Well, at the end of the day, JOK at that type of number needs to be an effective pass rusher because we kind of know with him he's boomer bust, right? He's going to fly, he's going to shoot. And if you can utilize on, say, like a rush package where all of a sudden you're moving guys inside and utilizing Miles Garrett, I could bring JOK down to the edge and say, hey, you're going to rush off the edge. So if all of a sudden you look at a guy like, you know, um, Epineza from Buffalo and you say, hey, you and Ogbo are going to be kind of a, a yin and a yang, so to say a 2A, 2B in terms of rush versus pass. And then all of a sudden you maybe make JOK your third type of situational pass rusher i could see them making it work we have to kind of get away from that traditional role of you know edge one edge two edge three because schwartz doesn't really abide by that he's exotic with the way you know you're going to get talky talky blisses you're going to get anthony walker they're going to utilize the linebackers differently than we've seen in the past so i could see them maybe saving a little bit of money in the edge room knowing that the money is going to go to jok a little bit and then going to jok and saying hey you better learn real fast how to get to that pass rusher and stop overshooting your gaps and letting tight ends run down the field wide open against you. No, and it's one that we saw the defensive tackle rotation is probably the perfect example. There was a one and there was a two, two and a two um, because it was literally a clean split of like 60% goes to Tomlinson. Everyone else plays 40% of snaps. Um, and it's one where people try and stack a depth chart more than you should. Um, and it is worth worth having the rotation because the last thing you want is you're relying on one guy. The one guy goes out and then it's like, oh, shame about the defensive line for the rest of the season. Whereas if you have two guys at 6 million between sort of Okoronkwo and say Lewis as an example, that sets you up in a much better spot. If we were talking about cornerbacks and O-line, there's no point doing that because your second guy should never be on the field unless the first guy is out injured. Whereas with D-line, that sort of strong rotation position. And it's that's pretty much it for like a strong, deep rotation. You don't get it at linebacker, you don't get it at corner, you don't get it at safety. You only get it on the defensive line. You need guys that go, hey, you're going to play 60% of snaps. Miles Garrett's amazing. He's probably going to play 75%, 80%. He's not a 100% snap guy just because of the nature of the position. So when roster building, you have to account for, don't blow your budget on 75% of snaps because if you're rolling out 
what, Port Augustine and Chad Thomas for 20% of snaps, your D-line is going to suck. And it doesn't matter that Miles Garrett's on your roster. He, he can't play from the sideline. Yeah, you're just getting away from that kind of wave concept. And, you know, I think we got to have a lot of faith in uh, the offense or the assistant coach of the year, Jim Schwartz. But, yeah, I even can see them using Grant Delpit in that blitzing. I just think that the traditional idea of you're going to be generating all of your pass rush from two guys is going to go away because I think Schwartz is going to use a little bit there. But I want to move on to the other side of the ball in the short time we have left. You had mentioned Gabe Davis. I'm just going to tell you right now, I have no interest in Gabe Davis. He can kindly take his ass right back to Buffalo. I find he had like that one playoff game everybody remembers. I'm out on him. I'm also out on Darnell Mooney. I know a lot of people are really attracted by his speed and his ability to help the Browns in Hail Mary situations. However, I'm just telling you as a guy who's watched this guy, you are going to be extremely frustrated. He's a little bit better than Anthony Schwartz, but he's a fast guy. He struggles, you know, securing the ball at times. It's it's frustrating because he'll be in positions to make plays, and a lot of times he just doesn't make them. I don't think they're going to go big into the Marquise Brown, Calvin Ridley, Michael Pittman market, but there are a couple guys here I want to talk about um, in terms of just coming in to be kind of a veteran presence in that wide receiver room, because as you and Jackson mentioned, the wide receiver room is going to look a lot differently in two years than it does today. And a couple of these guys are Tyler Boyd from Cincinnati, who we know well, and Curtis Samuel. And the reason I use both of those examples is because Tyler Boyd is one of those guys on third down that just knows how to get open. And when you have a guy like that in this league and you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, who sometimes when the play starts to break down, it's ironic, his efficiency goes up, right? So, Outside of structure, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I, I'm sorry, let me try this again. I don't see Tyler Boyd being a huge like issue on the Browns offense. I see him being a net benefit, being able to improvise, get open on third down. Uh, Curtis Samuel is just, to me, he's always been this underrated receiver out of Washington. I mean, this guy was a running back at Ohio State. He comes in, he just is always around the ball. He's super explosive. And I think it's, it's kind of Elijah Moore-esque. I'm not going to lie. There is some similarities there, but if I have an offense with Elijah Moore and Curtis Samuel, where I can line him up in the backfield, he's got a little bit more size on than Elijah does. I could see him fitting well into this Browns offense. Some of the other guys we've talked about Kendrick Bourne. Um, as much as I love Michael Thomas, I know a lot of Buckeye fans have thrown his name out there. I just, I, I I'd rather see Michael somewhere else like the person just don't like the fit. And the other one, um, we've talked about him every year, Noah Brown. I don't know what his injury situation is coming off of that last season with Houston, but Noah Brown's a guy I would look at. And for a heck of a flyer, he went from Tua to Deshaun Watson, Cedric Wilson. Is he going to be kind of the maybe the Marquise Goodwin of this year? Sure. But yeah, good. Um, Cedric Wilson's another guy I would look at. Just on sort of that mid-range, not talking about your like your Tyler Boyd, your um, guys that are in that sort of eight to 12 and a half range with sort of Gabe Davis, Brown, Mooney, um, Reynolds and Chuck, probably going to be around the 5 million range. I don't mind them as options. If you want to just bring someone in that's more reliable, I, I see that as a piece. I do. I just, I hope Brown's fans kind of pivot away from this. I'm going to spend $10 million, $20 million on a wide receiver. You know, you have all that money in Watson. I think a guy, you mentioned DJ Shark, like these guys can be productive in this league. 
and we don't have to go out and spend the 20 million on them. You know, I know Paul has kind of famously always said our wide receiver room from training camp to preseason to week one always seems to go from great to good to bad. So, you know, I know my, I know Paul would uh, like to see a little bit more consistency, right, Paul, at that wide receiver position. Nah, it's, it's always a revolving door. Our wide receiver, wide receiver room. Um, I like to see Cooper, Bell, Tillman, and a new face. I'll be happy with that. Don't forget about I, Elijah Moore. I think they could have a really, really nice room there because if you have Cooper, Cass. Moore, a veteran, five to ten million, whatever Tyler, you want we'll to just spend. Tyler Boyd, yeah, it's your three. Tyler Boyd, um, and then you have maybe a second or third round pick, Cedric Tillman and Bell. That is six legit guys, um, and that's a really, really good position to be in. And that's almost what you're going to see across this roster, I think, as we go into this draft, because they're going to add some more free agents. Then they're going to add some draft picks. Not many guys leaving. The guys that are leaving are like your tacky-tacky walkers, your Bjorkways. You can bring them all back if you want. It is going to be tough to make this roster um, this year because there's going to be legit dudes that don't make the roster. And that's good because, as Paul said there, it covers you for when injuries happen. Um, if you need six wide receivers on your 2024 roster, have seven guys in training camp that are legit. Not your Jakeem Grant. Buddy Watkins and Jakeem Grant nonsense. Seven legit wide receivers. Yeah. And they might they'll probably sign a bloody returner as their free agent. Someone like Jakeem, come on back, Barrios buddy. I miss Anthony. you. I miss you, Jakeem. But yeah, I know. I think that, and we're going to be a little bit more regular on the shows here, um, obviously coming into Jack's, you know, Christmas, but we wanted to kind of get out there, talk a little bit about some of the things that are out there and, you know, maybe we'll link up this weekend and, you know, get some more information out there. I know there was a lot of meat sandwiches stuff we didn't get to jump to, but Jack's off to the countryside in England. I'm off to the wonderful state of Wisconsin. And, you know, it's just all fun, all fun trying to get us all back together. Paul, you want to give us our final words? Yeah, great. I just want to um, uh, say a bit of Browns news. Mo Hurst now follows me on uh, Instagram. I have to get him on the program. I need to hear the uh, origins of the belly dance. Need yep, him back. So he's not. He's a he's a friend of the show. Um, Zane Gonzalez, inside information. Uh, he's back and ready to fight for a kicking place. Uh, he prop he uh, proposed to his girlfriend, uh, and I'm going to Chelsea versus. Newcastle with him. Uh, nice. I'm just trying to think. Any other player news that I can share on the podcast? Um, I'm really enjoying Deshaun Watson's podcast. I don't know if you watch him at all, but yeah, I think he's really positive about Cleveland. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, team uh, Deshaun Watson. All right, guys. I, I know everyone's got to jump off to uh, another meeting, but uh, yeah, let's catch up in the next couple of weeks. And... Uh, Maybe, Jack, you can educate us what to look out for in the Combine. Speed. Go Browns. You, you just open up Raz at Math Bomb and just whatever's green, go for that. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.